And then once you're there, if you'd stand for the reading of the word. Let's read. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. God, I pray that you would uh, just open our eyes to your word, that Samuel would uh, speak from your word, and that we would apply it and work powerfully through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Amen. Amen. Central Baptist Church, what happened to the warmer weather? How about that for an intention-getting statement there? What happened? Well, if we'd been paying attention to the weather forecast, we would have seen the storm coming, right? But I caught myself last week basking in the sun in the warmer weather. And this thought came to mind, you know, maybe you should kind of check the forecast because after all, it is February. And I literally said, I don't care what the forecast is. I don't want to know what the forecast is. I have what I want. (laughs) I'm happy. This is the perfect weather. Um, The church knows that I kind of disdain February. um, And uh, I just, the bitter cold of February is just not good on a Texas guy. So anyhow... Um, this unseasonably warm weather has been such a a blessing and I know that we've all enjoyed it, but again, if we had been looking at our phones and looking up the forecast, we would have known that the storm is coming, that the weather was going to change. So it's one thing if you're talking about the weather, because ultimately it doesn't matter that much for us, but it's another thing when you're talking about predicting more serious things. According to the Bible, the forecast for the church is predicting storms. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, if you look back in your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, Understand this, that in the last days there will be 
There will come times of difficulty or peril or danger. Storms. Look at verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So persecution is coming. Storms are coming. And the Bible tells us over and over again in the New Testament, we can expect storms. We can expect persecution. We're in an all-out battle. Spiritual battle. Over the word of God and the souls of men. So we need to be prepared for the storms. But if we make up our minds now how we're going to weather those storms, and then we stay faithful in the midst of the storms, the good news is there's nothing that will stop us from prevailing and persevering through the storms. And the picture that I want us to see is like, a, like on an ocean and you've got this storm and the thunder and the lightning and the waves and the darkness. But the storm, that, the, the ship that prevails and it comes through the storm and the sunlight on the other side of it. And it's just reflecting off that ship. And the waters are calm and it's peaceful again. And the ship has prevailed. That's the good news. That the storms cannot stop a church that loves the Lord and keeps its focus on Him and loves the gospel and loves each other. But today in the text, we're going to see three orders. Three orders that all faithful stewards must follow in the midst of the storms. Three orders that all faithful stewards must follow in the midst of the storms. Now I'm using this language of stewardship because if you study First and Second Timothy, there are, there are different hints and phrases that, that point to this idea of stewardship. Like, Timothy, you're a, you're a steward in God's household. And Paul is one of the, the primary stewards, if you will, of the household. And his life is about to come to an end. And so he's passing off the responsibilities to Timothy. He says, Timothy, this is how we must conduct ourselves in the household of God. So three orders that we must follow. And here they are. Number one, preach the master's words. Preach the master's words. And that's in verses one and two. Next, do not be surprised when people leave for the wrong reasons. Do not be surprised when people leave for the wrong reasons. And that's in verses three and four. In verse five, we see that we are to stay focused and keep reaching out to new people. Stay focused and keep reaching out to new people. That's verse five. And in verses six through eight, we see the motivation or incentive. That God will reward you for being a faithful steward. 
Now, if you have the outline written down, I think it's helpful just to take a 30,000-foot look at the outline and just notice the train of thought. It really, it, it really helps you as you get into the passage. Here's the train of thought. In the midst of storms, okay, 2 Timothy is all about storms. If you've been paying attention from the beginning of the book, Paul is saying there's going to be opposition. There are going to be evil men and imposters. Um, you're going to be put to shame. You're going to be persecuted. You have to fight the good fight. You have to guard the good deposit. There's all this language about storms. And so in the midst of storms, what do we do? Number one, we preach the word that the job never changes. We preach the word in season and out of season as we're going to see today. Well, what should we expect when we preach the word? And, and especially in the context today, the idea is that you're preaching the word and, and you're confronting sin. Okay, and what should we expect when we preach the word and we deal seriously with sin at the heart level? Is everybody going to put up with that? Is everybody going to stick around? Not everybody will. Some people don't want to be confronted about their sin. They don't want to be challenged to walk and follow the Lord in faithfulness. And so they're going to leave. That should not surprise us. However, how do we respond to that? Do we give up hope? Oh, you know, so-and-so left the church. Or, hey, they didn't want to hear the gospel, so they left. Yes, it is discouraging, but it shouldn't surprise us. And it shouldn't blow us off course. So we want to continue the process of turning over the soil. Continue the process of that great commission, looking for new disciples. Doing the work of an evangelist. And brothers and sisters, if we prevail in that... If we persevere in that, the reward, the reward is so staggering and so amazing that, that the Bible writers, I mean, they just struggle to put it into words. What is it going to be like to be in the presence of God for all eternity and to see this heavenly city coming down from, from heaven and, and, and coming down to Jerusalem and for all the nations to come to Jerusalem and worship the Messiah? What is that going to be like? I mean, the Bible's just, just grasping for words. You just, you just can't imagine Eye is not seen, nor is ear heard. You can't imagine all the good that God has in store when he pulls out, pours out his riches and his glory for ages and ages on his church. You can't imagine it. So the, the reward is, is just, you know, you can't even measure it. Can't even, it's indescribable. So do you see the train of thought there? I think that's helpful. If right away we can just see, okay, here's the big picture. This is what he's walking through today. So number one, preach the master's words. Preach the master's words. This is the first order that we must keep as we are being stewards in God's house. If we want to weather the storm. So Paul's beginning here with the motivation to obey. And it comes from the authority that he represents. Paul says, Right there in verse 1. Look at your Bibles. Keep your Bibles open today. Follow along with me. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is a weighty charge. This is an order. In, in, different, in different places in the, in the Bible, the same term is translated. I, I solemnly testify to you. It's this courtroom language. And this is a, this is a, a throne room scene here. I'm charging you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Jesus, who is he? He's the judge of the living and the dead. What facts do we know about the future? Well, he's coming again, his appearing. 
And his kingdom will be established in this world. Nothing can stop that. That's the facts. I'm charging you in his presence. So you, you see this picture that Paul has. You got God the Father. You have God the Son, the judge of the living and the dead. And then you have the herald. You have the messenger of the king here, Paul. And he's saying, I charge you. I order you. I command you these things based on the authority that is backing me up here. I am speaking for God here. Paul says, I'm charging you with these things. This is weighty. He wants us to feel the weight of this. Again, this word herald, what, what is this idea? This, back in the times of the Bible, heralds, it's an ambassador. It's a messenger of the king. So Paul wants Timothy to feel the weight of what he's saying. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, it's like just this solemn scene here. It's like this courtroom, this throne with this judge there. And here is the commandment of God, Timothy. It's weighty. I remember when, uh, when we finalized our adoption of the twins, it's the only time I've ever been in court by the grace of God. <laughs> and I was there in court. And it's one thing to have the lawyers ask you all the questions so that they have everything on record and that everything's written down and it's official and finalized, right? That's one thing. But the reason it felt so weighty and the reason you were afraid to even answer those questions is because the judge was in that room. And the judge was the one who had the final say about that adoption. I just never forget what it was like to be in the presence of a judge. <laughs> this is a judge of Kansas City. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal, right? See what Paul's saying here? I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus, the judge of all judges, the judge of the judges, Woo. king of the judges. So Paul, what are, you, what are you commanding me to do? You got my attention here. This is a weighty charge, divine authority here that Paul is summoning. And in verse two, he says, this is what you have been charged to do. Preach the word. The word preached there is to herald the word. Timothy, you are a divine spokesman. You know, I, I've often heard people say that when it comes to preaching the word, the authority is not in the preacher, right? The authority is in the word. That's true. <laughs> that the, the authority is certainly in the word. But I think that there is an authority that's given to the preacher as well here. There is an authorization, if you will, to preach the word. And so I, I, know, I know the point. I get the point that the ultimate authority is God himself and his authority is in his word. But God summons people and he charges people and he authorizes and he ordains for people to preach his word. So Timothy is authorized to preach the authoritative word of God. 
That's empowering. To know that you're an authorized preacher of the authoritative word of God. When was Timothy authorized to preach the word? We saw that back in chapter 1. Paul said in verse 8 of chapter 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is he talking about? He's going back to Timothy's ordination when he was called into the ministry, when he was authorized to preach the word. Authorization matters. Authority matters. Oftentimes, that's the argument in the New Testament. Are these guys authorized to preach the word or not? Is Paul authorized to preach the word or not? And so that's the big argument. Like, who's been authorized? Who's been approved to say these things on behalf of God? So, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. You are to preach the word. So when should he preach? I think it's important for us to understand that the next series of rapid-fire commands, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, correct, all these things, or <laughs> exhort, all of these things fall under the umbrella of preaching the word. So now he's going to be talking about what does it look like when you preach the word? Number one, when do you preach it? In season and out of season. Preach the word when? Be ready in season and out of season. It means be ready at all times to obey these orders. Be ready in the opportune times and when the times are not opportune. Day in and day out, in the good times and the bad times, is when you preach the word. Preach the word when the church is growing and and, and when it's just exciting and people are coming. Yeah, preach the word, Timothy. But what about when the crowd's thinning out and people are leaving? What do we do? It doesn't change the job description. Preach the word in season and out. Truthfully, we should expect to see these trends. We should expect to see times when, when you know, God is doing something and he's stirring in the hearts of the community and, or, or, or maybe there was even something, uh, you know, Tragic that happens, and for whatever the reason, just the crowds are coming. You should expect to see that at times. But then over time, we should start to see the thinning of the crowds and the disciples remaining. Next, Paul talks about the effect of the word. Paul says that we must. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Do you see that in your Bibles? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So this tells us what should be the effect of the word. Once we understand what each of these words means, it will help us to understand the effect of the preaching of the word. For instance, reprove. When Paul says reprove, he's saying that it should bring our sin to light or to expose our sin. That's what the Greek word for reprove means. It means to expose. 
Bring it into the light. Don't be shy and afraid to talk about sin. Bring it into the light. Expose it for what it is. Rebuke. It means to bring a sense of conviction to the heart. To rebuke or to convict. So we bring the sin into the light and we condemn it. Or we bring conviction. And the word exhort means that it should be done with a sense of urgency. We warn and urge people to take action and be faithful. So good preaching, what does it do? It exposes sin, it convicts the heart, and it urges people to take action against sin, to put it to death, to take out the trash, not keep it around in your life. As they say, good preaching will comfort the afflicted, but it will afflict the comfortable. It cuts to the heart. It confronts us in our sin. Do you remember Peter on the day of Pentecost? It's a good example of preaching the word on the day of Pentecost. Peter goes through the scriptures. He teaches on the scriptures. And he says, this Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, you crucified him. Your sin cost Jesus his life. That's serious. That's weighty. And it cut people to the heart. It exposed their sin, exposed them as rebellious traitors against the king. And it cut them to the heart. It convicted them of their sin. And Peter urged them. They said, what do we do now? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And here's the good news. God will forgive Your sin. While we're talking about the gospel, that's good news for you and me today, isn't it? You think, man, I've done some really horrible, wretched, terrible things. God can forgive that sin, can't he? Think about it. On the day of Pentecost, what had those people done? They had murdered the Son of God. And what did Peter say? You can be forgiven for that. Brothers and sisters, if you can be forgiven for murdering the Son of God, you can be forgiven for cussing out your neighbor or your kid or even killing some other person. You can be forgiven for anything if you repent. That's good news. Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. I mean, you can be forgiven of anything. I don't know what you're hiding from. I don't know what you're scared of coming into the light with. Well, if the preaching of the word is exposing something in your heart and you're feeling convicted about it, repent of it. God will forgive you. Don't don't be deceived. Don't don't look around this room and say, well, these, these people, they look like they've got their lives all put together. They don't look like they've ever struggled with sin the way that I do. You should be here on a Sunday morning when these brothers and sisters come to the front and they share their testimony and they tell you what they've been through in their lives. On the brink of suicide. Addicted. Same sin that you deal with. We've all dealt with it. God's forgiven us. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful when we preach the word like this, don't we? When we rebuke and we reprove and and when we say things that are convicting. We have to be careful about that, right? And that's what Paul says next. He says, make sure that you do this with what? Complete patience. 
and with teaching, which is doctrine, which is the Bible. Make sure that as you rebuke and reprove and exhort people, that you're doing that with a lot of love and grace and patience and that it's based on the word. See that? Even though good preaching should be done with a sense of urgency, it doesn't mean that you should preach with impatience. See, there's a difference between urgency and impatience. Love is the difference. You can plead with someone to repent because you love them and you have compassion for them and that should produce a sense of urgency. Don't keep going down that road. Please don't go down that road any further. If you keep going down that road and sin, the bridge is out. It's going to be disaster for you. I am telling you this only because I love you, because I care. That's different, isn't it? Than confronting someone and losing your temper in the process because you're frustrated with them about a situation. What is the motive of our hearts when we rebuke and when we exhort? What's the motive? What's, what do we hope to see come out of that conversation, brothers and sisters? Reconciliation. If you really want to be reconciled with your brother and sister, won't you be patient with them? Have you ever been the person in the wrong that's being confronted and you're just not sure if you can trust that person who's confronting you and you don't really like what they say? What's going to happen if they get impatient with you? You're going to say, no, I don't trust that person. I don't believe what he's saying to me right now because he's just angry. He's just trying to control me. You see, your patience. (laughs) You want to win your brother and sister? Go to them in the spirit of Jesus. Isn't the Lord patient with us? How many times does the Lord teach and explain and give us second chances before he takes greater measures of discipline? That's how God is. He's patient. He's long-suffering. I hope that's the way that we are when we're confronting sin. Samuel, why are you talking about confronting sin? Isn't this passage just about preaching in general? Isn't this the passage, kind of the gold standard when preachers want to talk about just you know, preaching the word. Well, keep the context of the book in mind. The church in Timothy's day was in trouble. It was under attack. There were wicked people spreading false teaching. And Paul said, you have to confront that by preaching the word. You see, it's a specific context. This isn't necessarily a text about Sunday morning preaching either because he says preach the word in season and out of season in other words always be ready not just Sunday mornings seven days a week 365 days out of the year preach the word you got specifically you got to confront sin and the reason I say that he's talking specifically about preaching in situations that are requiring confrontation is because look at the language Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. You're going to have to be patient while you're correcting people. That's what he's saying. And I 
Again, look at what Paul says here. Do this with complete patience and teaching. Again, sound doctrine or bring the word into the conversation. It should be evident to people if we're in a confrontation and we're preaching the word that that we're preaching the word. We have a specific Bible verse. Brother, I want to bring this verse to you. Based on what I'm seeing in your life, it's not lining up with this verse. And by the way, don't say that until you know you're right (laughs) in confronting them. And you're not going to know you're right in confronting them if you don't take time to listen. But if you're walking into a situation and you're just mad and you couldn't even tell them a Bible verse (laughs) and you can't even discern, you can't even tell them this is specifically the issue that I want to talk to you about. Then you need to go to your prayer closet and you need to spend time with God. And you need to let him deal with your heart and your frustration and your anger so that you can go to that person in a spirit of reconciliation. Boy, this puts the brakes on us when we're bringing the word to somebody. It slows you down. Oh, by the way, before you run off and rebuke and exhort that guy, make sure you're going to do that with patience according to the Bible. Slow you down, won't it? <laughs> it's good. It's good. Paul knows. Paul knows. He's been through a lot of battles, hasn't he? So, brothers and sisters, preach the word. I'm not just talking about Samuel Nelson and the pastors. Like, we all need to be preaching the word. We all need to be preaching the word. We all need to be confronting one another at times with the word. So I want to give you some quick pointers on on doing this as far as application goes. Number one, it starts with abiding, doesn't it? How can you confront somebody with the Bible if you don't know what the Bible says? How can you confront somebody in patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit, if you're not abiding in the word of God and being transformed into a patient person like Jesus, right? It starts with abiding. If you're going to preach the word, it begins with abiding. Number two, it takes initiative and courage not to sweep things under the rug. If you see something that's a red flag and you're concerned about it, don't just let it go. I'm not saying that we can, we're just looking for people and waiting for people to stumble so we can run and correct them, right? But we all know that in the, the process of life, the course of life, that you see things, you notice things from time to time, and, and, and you just, you know, that, that didn't look right. That didn't, I, I'm not comfortable with that. It takes initiative and courage to not sweep things under the rug. Number three, it takes faith. It takes faith because you have to rely on the Lord and the power of the Spirit so that we can confront people with clear, convicting truth from the Word in a loving way. So it takes faith and dependence on Jesus, doesn't it? We cannot confront sin on our own. Parents, you know this, don't you? You ever try to confront your kid's sin on your own? How does that work out? Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. (laughs) No, 
We need the power of God in our lives. We need to be relying on him if we're going to preach the word like Paul's talking about here. Number four, in all your preaching, oh, please hear this. Be sure that you're first being a good listener. What good is a doctor who doesn't listen to his patients? You must diagnose before you prescribe and you must listen before you diagnose. I'll say that again. You must diagnose before you prescribe and you must listen before you diagnose. What if you went into the doctor and you say, hey, I've been waiting for you. I saw you on the books today. Here, take this, take this uh, painkiller. <laughs> it'll, help, it'll help you with your elbow pain. You're like, well, wait a minute. I don't, that's not why I came in today. <laughs> so really, it's actually, you know, I, I got this, this other issue. Like I'm having trouble with my, my breathing and my heart rate's speeding up. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry about all that. Here, what you really need is just, just this medicine. Just, it'll help your elbow. Trust me. It helps my elbow. Every time I need it, it'll help you. You say, this doctor is no good. Why? Because he doesn't listen. And so he gives you the wrong diagnosis and he prescribes the wrong thing because he doesn't listen to the patients. Brothers and sisters, be careful. Do not hastily preach the word. Be wise. You got to understand that anytime you're going to confront a problem, boy, the enemy's just waiting. He's just waiting. He's like, oh man, I'm going to jump on this conversation. I can't wait to stir up some trouble between these two. You've got to be ready for that battle. We're going to move on. Number two. Here's the second order that we must obey in the midst of the storms. Number two, do not be surprised when people leave for the wrong reasons. The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, Paul says. It makes sense. The train of thought makes sense, doesn't it? Sin crops up in the church. We're going to address it with the word. We're going to be patient, but we're going to address it with the word. Some people are not going to stick around. There's a specific problem that Paul has in mind in here. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears. They'll accumulate for them self-teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's talking about apostasy. Leaving the church. The trendy term for it these days is deconstruction. Oh, they're going to deconstruct on us and then self-destruct. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The Greek means they, they, won't, bear, they won't bear with it or they won't endure it, or they won't sit under unmixed doctrine. The time is coming when people will not sit under sound teaching. Why? Well, maybe it's their pride, right? They can only pretend to bow down under the authority of the word so long, but after a while their pride gets the best of them and they rebel and deconstruct and leave. Or maybe it's their lusts that won't remain sleeping forever. They can sit in church for a while. They can 
They can calm their lusts down for a little time, but eventually sleeping lusts wake up, right? And like a, like a baby, they will demand to be fed. Or maybe they heard a, a sermon that they didn't understand or agree with, so they start making assumptions about the preacher. You know that happened in John chapter 6, didn't it? Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. No part in me. How do people respond to that? They said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept this? This guy's crazy. No, Jesus had a reason he said that. He obviously wasn't being literal. But people didn't understand him, so they found fault. And they deserted him. But for whatever the reason, Paul says the time is coming when people are not going to put up with sound doctrine or unmixed teaching or teaching that calls them out for their sin in this case. The text says that they have itching ears. Look at that with your Bi- in your Bibles. We're building this up. You're going to see this progression. and I, I, it's, it's convicting. The time's coming. They won't endure the sound teaching, but they have itching ears. The truth is too hard to listen to, so they're going to find teachers who give them pr- permission to pursue their lusts. And the net result is that they turn away from the truth. Itching ears. Means they have this, this desire, this irritation that's being caused. They want to go and find somewhere that's going to soothe that lust. Notice the progression here. It starts with harboring sin and not repenting of it. Back in chapter 3, verse Two, what did it say? In the last times, there will be people who love themselves and they love money. In verse three, it says that they will not love what is good. In verse four, it says they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So these are people who love themselves and they don't love the word of God. So they're harboring sin and self-love and they won't repent of it when they hear the preaching of the word. Then they become weary of listening to convicting, whether it's sermons or confrontations from their brothers and sisters, they become weary of that. So they begin to search the internet and explore other options, or they find some other person to be influential in their lives, and they find a substitute for sound doctrine. And they turn away. Look at verse four. Here's the scary thing. And they turn away from listening to the truth and they wander off into myths or we might say fantasies. So say, I don't want to hear this truth anymore that you're preaching. I'd rather go somewhere else where they tell me that it's okay to do what I want to do. And they wander off into a fantasy world.
I really don't want to go to church at, at your church anymore. I'd rather go over here to this other church that allows me to do what I feel like doing with my passions, right? I remember one guy coming to me and saying, you know, Samuel, I, I, just, I, just, I just don't think that I'm on the same page with, with the vision of Central Baptist Church. I was like, well, what's, what's wrong with the vision of Central Baptist Church? You know, now I'm not being defensive. I'm just saying, what, what's, what's wrong with the vision of Central Baptist Church? Because as soon as you tell me that you have a problem with the vision of Central Baptist Church, I know the problem is not with Central Baptist Church. Because the vision of Central Baptist Church is to magnify the Lord, mature as believers, and multiply disciples among the nations. Uh, the, the, the heart of Central Baptist Church is to hate our sin and divorce our sin and to run after Jesus. And so if you have a problem with Central Baptist Church, it's not. The problem is not with the church. I don't think he liked being held accountable, to be honest. Because that's what we were trying to do with him before he decided he didn't like the vision of Central Baptist Church. We were confronting him about things in his life. We were confronting him about a relationship and how he was going about that relationship. We are confronting him about the fact that he was inconsistent in, in his attendance and keeping with the church covenant. We are confronting him with the fact that we never saw him do any evangelism. We never saw him make disciples. And we're like, what's going on? Can you help us to understand? We love you. We care for you. But we see some things here that are concerns to us. And I love that, brother. But the next thing you know, he wanted to let me know that he was going to go ahead and start looking for another church because he didn't agree with our vision. I was like, okay, well, it's not our vision that you have a problem with. Brothers and sisters, how do we get practical about expecting people to leave? Let me, let, let me make sure that that progression is really super clear because I, I think that's helpful, right? I want this text to be helpful to you. I want you to be able to look back at this and say, okay, I see what's going on here so that you can recognize it. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They're not going to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the word. They're not going to stand for it when you bring correction to them. But instead, they're going to find somebody else to tell them what they want to hear so that they can turn away from listening to the truth. So they can find an alternate, an alternative to the truth. And then that alternative would lead to an alternative reality into a world where their sin is okay. That's the progression that he's outlining here. I think that's helpful for us to see. And if you see anybody on that trend, pray, pray, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching that you might be reconciled, that you might win your brethren so that they would start to reconstruct their faith, right? Brothers and sisters, how do we get practical about expecting people to leave for the wrong reasons? You say, here's the point of, this, this, of these verses. Expect people to leave for the wrong reasons. So how do you get practical about that? That doesn't sound like a fun thing, but... 
Let me give you a few things here that we can apply. Number one, train yourself for godliness. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Ready? Train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says what? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths yourself, Timothy. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bod- bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What is this idea of, of, of training for godliness? Look down at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Practicing these things. Immersing yourself in them so everybody sees your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I'm going to train myself for godliness. I want to make sure that my identity and my value it's, it's a sincere faith that I myself am I'm growing as a Christian, that I'm, I'm learning the word and I'm putting it into practice. I am practicing for godliness. This will ensure that my faith is in Jesus and not in people. If I'm training myself for godliness and I'm becoming a stronger believer, my faith will be in Christ And not in other people. See, that's the hard thing when people leave, isn't it? Or that's the hard thing when people fall. Is that we tend to kind of put our faith in people. And when they fall, it shakes us. But if we're training ourselves for godliness, and our faith is in Jesus, and our identity is based on Him and not the crowd around us, then regardless of what happens in the crowd, and regardless of if they leave or not, we're going to stay. We're going to stay faithful. That's one way to prepare for people leaving is to make sure that you're strong so that when they leave, you will still continue to follow Jesus because it's not based on what other people do ultimately. Number two, abide. And I know this is closely related, but I'm just going to give a second point here of abiding and being faithful to abide with Jesus. Remember in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this isn't just a a, a, a one-hour quiet time in the morning. This is something that we do all day long because if you're not abiding, you can do nothing. So he's not just talking about an isolated quiet time. He's like, all the time, abide. Why do I want to abide at all times? Because that's going to cultivate in me a fear of God and not a fear of man. If I'm going to preach the word, if I'm going to see sin and deal with it in a loving way, I'm going to have to fear God more than I fear man. That's going to require me to abide. Next, be sure that your convictions are strong so that you're ready to have hard conversations. You know, it gets confusing when you get into a conversation with people in confrontation. 
and you're bringing the Bible into the conversation and they have a different take on a verse than you do or they have questions about that verse that you're not ready to answer. So the stronger your convictions are, the more that you're going to be ready to make disciples in hard situations. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, who can rightly handle the word of truth. See, you need to have strong biblical convictions. Study your Bibles. Get to know them. Study some apologetics. How do you answer the the pushback that people give? Next, be sure that you're fasted up and prayed up so that your temper doesn't flare up in stressful situations. When I wrote that point, I, I wasn't meaning to make it sound catchy. It was just when I got done, I thought, oh, hey, that, that's funny how <laughs> that turned out. But make sure that you're fasted up and prayed up so that your temper doesn't flare up. Honestly, if you're an immature believer who's not growing in your faith, it's really going to show up when you get into confrontation and hard situations in the church. Because you're not ready and you don't have the character and you're not used to disciplining yourself and you're used to always getting your way. And when you get in that situation and that other person isn't wanting to listen, that's going to make you angry. And if you're not self-controlled and sober-minded, then that's going to turn into a big fight. Fast, pray. And like I say, do this because you never know when the storm is coming, right? I mean, we know they're coming, but we don't know when and we don't know who's going to defect and we don't know on what day we're going to have that conversation. We got to be spiritually ready. We got to be strong. How else do we prepare for people leaving the church? And and I would just say, look over at uh, 1 Peter 4, and I'll give you the reference to save a little time, but 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 10. This is what Peter challenged the church to do, knowing that dangerous times are coming. This is what Peter said. The end of all things is at hand, right? The end times, they're at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled or balanced and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. What's the point? Peter's saying, be the church. Press into the church. Love one another fervently. Practice hospitality. How do you build relationships? Through practicing hospitality. Building those relationships and making them strong, strong, strong so that when the storms hit, we are locked in, right? And we are used to doing life with each other and we know each other and we love each other and that storm is not gonna break this ship apart. COVID hit, right? 2020. One of my, one of my uh, yeah, best friends who's a pastor, he said, before COVID hit, I would have said that our church, one of the greatest strengths of our church was our unity. He said, after COVID, I would not say that anymore. You know, COVID just exposed the fact that there was a lack of relationship that was built on the word of God within that church. 
Like the people really didn't know each other very well. They didn't really trust each other that much. So that when COVID hit and people had their opinions about that, and people were being blown around by all the, the opinions and the conversations of man, and they, they, they didn't hold fast to the word, it began to shake the foundations of the church. So build strong relationships now. If you want to be ready for the storms, build strong relationships now. And I want to say this before we move on to this point. Thank you guys for hanging in there with me today. If you're thinking about leaving the church, you should be willing to sit down with your Bible open and walk through Scripture together. Okay, so if you think I'm going to leave Central and this isn't the place for me and I have a different vision for my life than Central Baptist has, well, can we just sit down with our Bibles open and look at Scripture together and agree on the reason why you're leaving and that it's a good and a biblical reason? Okay, if you're not willing to come to the table with your Bible open and have that conversation, there's something going on in your heart. On the other hand, if the church isn't willing to have to open their Bibles and and walk through Scripture with people who are wanting to leave. If the church isn't willing to just say, let's have a Bible study together and see what God wants us to do. If the church isn't willing to do that, then there's something wrong with us. Both sides. Both, all of us need to be willing to just have our Bibles open, don't we? I'm going to quickly uh, run through this uh, last point so we can get to the incentive and wrap up here. Hopefully in the next seven minutes or so. Number three, stay focused and keep reaching out to new people. So people are leaving the church. The crowds are thinning out. The church is going through hard times. There's controversy in the air. Whatever the case may be, when the storms are hitting, we must stay focused and keep reaching out to new people. Paul says in verse five, as for you, which is like a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Paul's just gotten done talking about these people who they're not going to listen to sound doctrine. They're going to leave the church. And and if you're like me and if you're probably like Timothy, you're probably thinking, man, is that going to be me me one day? (laughs) It can be kind of disturbing and concerning when you hear sermons like this and God's showing you sin in your own heart. You're like, oh, God, please don't let that be me. Don't let me be an apostate one day. Thank God for verse five, as for you. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear, as for you, I'm not putting you in that same category as people who are leaving the church, Timothy, but you is what the Greek says, but you. Some people are going to leave an apostate, but not you, Timothy. I believe your faith is sincere. And I want you guys to receive that comfort too today as you're wrestling with sin. Honestly, out of all the verses in this whole passage, I think that, that those two words this week minister to me more than anything else in the passage, but you. It's powerful. But you. But you, Timothy, always be sober. Endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and finish the task. Complete your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Be sober means stay calm and steady. 
in the midst of confrontations, you got you to keep your head. You got to stay calm and be steady and keep a very close watch on your thought life and keep, a very, keep your hand on your chest like this. Because if you start to feel your heart racing and the stress and the intensity of the conversation picking up and you start to hear the voices getting louder and you start to see things escalate, you know. You know that that's when you need to be sober. You need to sober up. Your emotions are starting to take you away from the patience and from the doctrine that you need to be bringing into the situation. I learned these lessons the hard way. I've been in confrontational situations in the church where it got too loud. I've been in situations where I walked away from it and for two hours, it took me two hours to decompress from the conversation because it was just, I got so wound up. Keep an eye on that, brothers and sisters. Be sober. Be careful. Don't, don't let, don't be pushed into a reactionary situation or where you're starting to respond impulsively and you're just trying to win the argument. Instead of being anxious, stay focused on the word. The word will keep us at peace. Do you guys remember Isaiah 26, 3 and 4? When we studied through Isaiah? I'll read it to you again, but you can write down the reference. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You, the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. When you're in those confrontations, be sober. Keep your mind focused on the Lord. I remember going to an elder meeting and we were having some confrontation in the church and some conflict with a certain person. And the, and the, and the meeting started and I, I said, Joseph, here's, here's what I'm kind of thinking about the situation. I've been figuring it all out and this is what, this is what I think we should do. And he goes... Samuel, can we, do you mind if we just start with the word today? Oh. Humbling, right? Joseph, that's a great idea. Thank you, brother. And we, we, that, that confrontation, we saved it all the way to the end of the meeting, and it took about five or ten minutes. And, and, you know, we dealt with it, and we said, okay, here's the next step. We'll do that. The end. But we didn't let that thing absorb the entire meeting, right? Which it could have. And if I had started with that, and if I had led with that, like my emotions were wanting me to, if I wasn't being faithful to the word, like Joseph wanted to, then that, you can imagine the effect that would have had on that meeting. Paul says, endure suffering, doesn't he? See that? Be sober and endure suffering. You can't quit when the going gets tough. You must endure the hard season. Persecution comes with the territory of being a Christian. And especially if you're in leadership or if you're a fusion advocate. Persecution, strife, uh, confrontation, challenging things. It comes with the territory. You've got to endure that. Can I, can I share with you something that's just insightful? I mean, just packed with insight. 
Who, who was causing the problems in Timothy's church? Was it the Roman government? Was it the people outside the church? Or was it the people inside the church? It was the people inside the church. And you know what? Over the years in ministry at Central Baptist, it's not the people outside of the church causing the problems for Central Baptist. It, it, it's when something gets stirred up inside the church. And I want to tell you who I've seen the most problems with for our members is with even their own family members. But regardless of where it's coming from, we must persevere through the hard times because God has a blessing in store for us if we do. Look at what Timothy, or Paul says next, do the work of an evangelist. Keep obeying the Great Commission, Timothy. Keep looking for new people. Do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who heralds the good news. It's someone who is seeking to save the lost. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Look, no matter how hard things are getting inside the church, don't let all of the issues inside the church absorb all your time and your attention and your focus and your your energy so that you forget about the lost. Remember the purpose of your ministry, Timothy. It's so that people would hear the good news and come to salvation. Don't let problems steal your attention away from that. Central Baptist, we need to always be turning over the soil and keep looking for new people. You say people are leaving, people are walking out the door. Watch God bring people through the door as people are walking out the door. If we are faithful to evangelize, I've seen it time and time again. I've seen people leave. It's been hurtful. It's been hard and discouraging. And I've seen God just honor the Great Commission and the heart of this church is for the Great Commission and for making disciples and for being faithful in evangelism no matter what. And I've seen God honor that. Whether it's through new converts or whether it's just through bringing other Christians or fusion teams or whoever it may be into Central Baptist. We are going through hard times and hurting as a church. God continued to just bring people. Because God cares about the lost. And so do his people. I'm looking at Luke Williams over there because when Central was empty and there was nobody here, I was just like, Luke, can you come and help us? He was coming back from a mission trip overseas. It's like, what time does uh, church start on Sunday? I said, 10 o'clock, but we set up chairs at 9.30. So I'll see you at 9.30. And he came and he kept coming and he's so faithful to evangelize in the neighborhood, like many of you are. And so in that time when Central Baptist was hurting, God still cares about this lost neighborhood. And he's gonna bring people in to help us with that. So let's, yeah. Be faithful to love what the Lord loves and love the lost. Be faithful to reach out to the lost. Okay, so what's the incentive? And this is the the beautiful thing that Paul ends with. Look at verses six through eight. Let's reread them. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. What is he saying? It's the end. It's the end for me. 
The drink offering was, the, was, a, was an offering that they would pour out over a sacrifice. The final part of the, of the sacrifice, you burn the lamb and then you pour the drink offering and it would create this pleasing aroma for the Lord. Paul says, the end has certainly come. The time of my departure has come. He's being emphatic. He's like, Timothy, I'm not getting out of it this time. I'm not going to get out of prison. They're going to put me to death. He's already had one trial. It's likely that he was sentenced. And he's just awaiting. He's on death row here. So what would you expect a prisoner on death row to say? Timothy, I'm afraid. Pray for me. Timothy is scared. Look at what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Timothy, the crown is so close, I can just, I can touch it. And in the Greek here, he, the, the verbs, he switches to the perfect tense. And it's the, this idea that I have fought the good fight, but I'm still fighting. I'm not giving up yet. I've finished the race, but I'm, I'm still sprinting to the end. I've, I've kept the faith. I'm still trusting Jesus and I won't stop. And there is going to be for me the crown of righteousness. He has three resounding affirmations. He's not afraid to die in the least. He welcomes death. He's like, I'm about to receive the crown of righteousness. And I have no doubt that I've been faithful and that God's going to bless me. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't, it doesn't matter how faithful you are in your life. I, I think you're always still going <laughs> to be fighting with sin and wrestling with sin and have those days where you wonder like, what, what, who am I really? Do I really love Jesus here or am I, am I not? But that confidence that Paul had, that can only be God's gift at this time in his life when he's facing death and he's like, bring it on. This is God fueling his fire and just giving him the grace to be, have the superior confidence at this dark hour in his life. God was there with him. And he says, I'm going to receive the victor's crown. As we close, I want you to think about some of the crowns that we, we, we see in, in our culture. Olympic athletes who received the gold medal or World War II veterans when the boats came home and they received the Congressional Medals of Honor. On a much lesser scale, the, the Chiefs that won back-to-back Super Bowls. I mean, there, was, there were crowns and honor and glory was given. But all of these crowns will fade away. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul says this, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. You think about an Olympic athlete, right? He wins the gold medal. It's exciting for a week or a month, but by next year, it just, something happens, right? It just dissipates, and the glory of the moment fades. But Paul says the crown for a faithful life will be imperishable. The glory will never fade away. Imagine receiving a crown from Jesus. It was so glorious that no matter how many times you looked at yourself in the mirror and you saw that crown, it would bring the same amount of joy as the moment when you first received it. It is an imperishable crown. I mean, just think about the most happy, most wonderful time in your life. It always fades, doesn't it? 
But Paul says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, I believe it was. It says it's imperishable. It never fades. Which the Lord, the righteous judge. He's not a corrupt judge like Nero Caesar who sentenced Paul to death. He's a righteous judge and he will award it to me on that day. But here's the good news for you and me. Not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. So the question is, do you love his appearing? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you running the race with all endurance? Are you guarding the faith? Go ahead and turn over to Hebrews 12, because it was referenced earlier today. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, thinking very little of the shame. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, throw off the sin that clings so closely. Nolan and I ran a half marathon this last spring. And it was funny because all along the track, <laughs> there were uh, sweatshirts and headbands and all kinds of stuff everywhere. All along the track. Because people started out with all of this you know, extra clothing to keep them warm. But as you start to run that race and things heat up and your body heats up, you just can't stand to have anything else that's hindering you from running the race and persevering to the end. So you just start shedding the extra things. You say you love the appearing of Jesus, but I want you to think back over your life this week. Is there anything that's hindering you from running the race that you need to throw off today, that you need to repent of? Let's make sure that we're repenting of sin that's exposed at the preaching of the word. When our hearts are being convicted, when we're being exhorted to repent, let's make sure that we're being faithful so that we don't wander away from the truth and so that we might receive the prize of the imperishable crown. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father God, we just thank you for this day. And would you guys just stand with me? Just everybody just stand. Let's stand. Central Baptist Church, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus today, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Central Baptist Church, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but always do that with complete patience and teaching in the spirit of reconciliation. Central, don't be surprised 
when people don't endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears and they find another source of truth and they wander off on their own paths. But as for you, be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Let's finish the ministry that God has entrusted to us. And when the time of our departure comes, may we be able to stand with confidence and say, we have fought the good fight. We have finished the race. We have kept the faith. And now we are going to step into eternity and receive the crown of righteousness that will make us forever filled with joy beyond anything we could imagine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.